This is the Outback Way podcast, proudly sponsored by our HEMA Guidebook and Atlas. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. I am Helen Lewis. Buckle up as we take you on Australia's longest shortcut, a journey through the heart of Australia. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. Today it gives me great pleasure to introduce Catherine Patterson from the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund. Welcome, Catherine, and thank you for joining our podcast. Thanks, Helen. Catherine, we, uh, the Outback Way, since 2011, has uh, been a partner of the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund by offering our travellers the offset opportunity, uh, which goes directly to your organisation. So I just really was keen to, I guess, allow our travellers to know a little bit more about where you actually do your projects and what that looks like. And, uh, and so that we can, uh, so people that are encouraged to participate in the offset program. Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity to chat about our projects. Excellent. How long has the Carbon and Neutral Charitable Fund been around? It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Maybe we should just go, from now on, we might just say CNCF. Yes, we've been around since 2001. Um, we were actually a concept initiated by um, Men of the Trees, which is now Trillion Trees, to start getting into carbon farming. So, um, as I said, started in 2001. We became, I guess, our own entity in 2007. There's Carbon Neutral now, which is a completely separate entity. We sort of broke off into two entities, and the charitable arm kept going as you know Carbon Neutral Charitable Funds. And we're two separate entities. So, yeah, we've been going for a long time doing carbon farming and planting trees. Excellent. And so how many, how many trees have you planted so far through this offset program? Yes. Last count, we're at um, 5.525 million trees, um, I think, okay. when we, which is at the uh, end of our financial year in September. Yeah, that's excellent. So then how does that process work in regards to the measuring of the carbon? You know, is it per tree or is it uh, just a general uh, understanding of of a volume of area that delivers a an offset for certain things? Yes, it really is the latter. So we measure on a per hectare basis. So we don't measure on a tree per tree basis because we're not planting a monoculture. We are planting, um, I guess, we're doing restoration work, we're restoring an area. So we are planting a biodiverse mixture of um, shrubs and trees, you know, really restoring an ecosystem. So it is done on um, on a per hectare basis. And we are using um, standards or metrics set out by either the ERF or gold standards. So it's based on, you know, very much a modeling which has been put in place to, to measure on a per hectare basis. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. And um, there's a, on the website there is an actual emissions calculator. So it, mm-hmm. does, it does allow people to work out um, how many um, trees will be planted in lieu of, um, I think it's $19 for people to do the Outback Way, and that will then go to plant about six trees or so and... Uh, that but the calculator is just handy to actually have a look at various living uh, carbon emissions as well, isn't it? Yes, I mean it is a very comprehensive calculator. Um, so I'm just putting a little warning out there for someone who might be new to the process of calculating their footprint. If you know if someone's interested in doing 
calculating their carbon footprint, which I think is an amazing thing to do because it really helps you assess where you can make reductions. You should really calculate your footprint retrospectively. So it's always much easier to do if you start collecting a bit of information, you know, like your gas bills, your electricity bills, uh, how many kilometers you're doing. And so you can look back retrospectively over a period and see, you know, where you were creating the most emissions. Yeah, so that, that will actually give you a bit of an average over the year, I guess, as well, over time. Yeah, no, that's good. Excellent. The, it's interesting. So then the offset process then, so who then buys the offset? So, you know, people pay to have a tree planted and then there's obviously, the, so the trees go in the ground and they're offsetting the carbon. Are you then trading those trees to actually help other people offset their carbon costs? Not really. I, I guess maybe I'll just sort of walk you through yeah, the process right. of our sort of our project work. So we obviously find a planting site, which, you know, that's that's quite a big feat in itself because if you are going to register carbon covenants, you know, to protect the land, you need some a landowner to be willing to give up their land for at least twenty five years and we, you know, ultimately would like to protect it for a hundred years. So that's the first step. Then we obviously plant the trees. Um, well, not just plant the trees, but we sort of restore the area. Everything we do is obviously based on estimates. You know, we look at a site, we do a site assessment, see what's going to be suited to planting there, the density, the species, um, etc. You know, depending on where the rainfall and you know what's around the area. And then we, I guess, we can make a carbon estimate on how much carbon we're going to get out of that site. So some of the audience may have dealt with us and they probably go, well, I make a donation or I plant a tree or I plant an offset. What's the difference? Um, we actually create pools within a planting project. We Obviously, when people donate or offset with us or buy a tree, they're helping us fund new projects, but we actually have to allocate backwards. So Every, when we create a project, we have estimates. We don't really know what, how many carbon offsets we're going to get until about three years into the project. Sure. And we're actually seeing how well it's growing. So the, the, so someone buys the product, that, that goes into a fund. The money that people pay goes into a fund. Yes. And then that fund then um, is used for part, you know, future projects in regards yeah, to the next, the next planting project. Yeah. So it's all, that's the way it's coming in. And um, obviously, so people want to go, go like, hey, so what happens about my tree or my offset? We essentially create pools of trees and offsets. Um, if we don't have the estimate, you know, we don't hit our success rate that we estimated, we obviously have to move to another site and put more trees and more offsets back in that pool. So when people get an offset, we allocate it, that offset, you know, and that measurement of emissions is retired that's you know we can't on sell it again but if for instance we don't um the planning site that it's been allocated to doesn't achieve what it has to we have to move that offset to a different pool yep okay so it's interesting isn't it because just offsetting carbon it means that um you know it allays the initial like the initial uh i guess carbon dioxide you know, footprint that we're making um, but it's actually change of practice that has to think I, I mean I'm just thinking on bigger things like I think it's great for travelers to do it um, but I think with the other the other element of this is that 
if it's just reshuffling the deck chairs if if our practices don't change as well i mean this is sort of a direct a direct purchase uh of a uh, carbon offset to to your projects which is great but there is a bit of a, a a bigger bigger picture when for example Qantas has that offset i'm pleased to see now that they're actually doing something themselves to actually change their fuel um reduce their emissions by 2050 like all those things that they're actually putting some operational changes in place so their offset is actually going to something a little bit more meaningful now they're genuinely changing practice not just not not just getting customers to buy an offset the airline industry actually doing quite a lot to mm. in terms of reducing yeah yes that's good excellent and so what are your uh developments from going forward in regards to this so you've you've planted 5.25 million trees are you getting to a target of some sort yeah well we've got um, with, along with Bush Heritage, we're planting a site up in Uradi, WA, and that's going to be a one million tree site. So um, that's a really large site. Um, the other thing, in WA alone, there's around two million hectares of cleared land, cleared land that's been cleared for farming but isn't being used for farming that could be rehabilitated. So that's not necessarily planting trees. That's um, could be planting saltbush on saline sites. You know, I'm really talking about restorative work, not just planting trees, which all has an impact on carbon reduction. Yes, so, sure. um, so I guess in terms of, we've got that side in Uradi. We also have a grant from um, the NRM, National Resources Management, to um, trial and continue planting highly saline sites, restoring those sites with um, salt-resistant plants. So they would be low carbon, but they're very much sort of at, have huge environmental benefits. So that's, you know, I guess it's other spaces that we are working on and moving into, as well as possibly soil carbon. So yeah, right, okay. there is a huge potential, you know, to do more just even within the state and going back to what you said about you know companies have got to reduce they've got to change what they're doing they totally do you know reduction is the most important thing and you know there is not enough land to create the offsets that are needed to offset some of the you know like the big mining companies like there, it, there's just not enough it can't happen so reduction is yeah really the first step for everyone but um, obviously with these restoration projects and carbon farming, it actually, it gives us the benefit of doing them is obviously we've already created a lot of emissions um, they are already in the atmosphere. And so we need to do something about, you know, what we've already done yes. as well as what we're potentially doing, you know, in the future. So, yeah. And what sort of areas are you expanding into in the future? So as I mentioned, it will be, you know, potentially soil carbon, yep. the um, working in these highly saline areas is um, an area that we are really developing. Australia wide, we're potentially going to lose about 17 million hectares to salinity. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah. so and you're planning, are you planning salt bush and ground covers and things like that for that? Yes, exactly. Very much. All our projects are done with professional contractors. Um, for instance, someone like who's going to be a professor, Justin Johnson from Threshold um, Environmental. These guys are really, really experienced on um, landscape restoration. So 
Good. Yeah. So Good I guess stuff. when we look into it, we're very much looking into creating, you know, yep. successful environments. Mm, okay. Because I mean, I know that um, with the soil carbon, it's actually uh, obviously a really stable place to uh, to store the carbon dioxide and it bring, brings it in. And uh, I know that in a reasonable, like even uh, in a very good season, we can we could sequester up to twenty tons of carbon dioxide per hectare per year. Um, with with pastures, um, well managed pastures with properly managed livestock, and even on a, in a poor season, it's between sort of five to twenty tons. So even on a fourteen hundred hectare place at five tons a year, it's sequestering seven thousand tons of carbon dioxide into the soil, and that obviously feeds the plants and the microbes. But I mean, when I equate that back to the outback way, that's you know, one trip is, is about one tonne of carbon dioxide. And so that's 7,000 trips across the Outback Way that 1,400 hectares can actually sequester, which is quite significant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one good thing about Australia, we've got a lot of land, you know, because yes. soil carbon is, yeah, we are looking at broad acre. So. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And practices, just practices that actually enhance that uh, sequestration of um of, of the carbon into the soil. So, no, that's very exciting. And so that's a good development. And there's, I guess you are actually involved with the uh, Emissions uh, Reduction Fund. So how is that, how do you, um, how do you engage with the, uh, those guys? We, I guess, we have a couple of projects which are listed um, that follow the methodology of the EOF. So um, yep. our Brookton and Ben Cubbin sites are, ERF registered projects. Um, we follow, um, as I said, it could be the Australian Emissions Reduction Fund, or um, our projects also quite adhere to the standards of gold standard, although they're not certified gold standards. Um, yeah, sure. So, but they're at that level. They're at that level, which is great. They're yeah, at that level, yeah. but I get it, you know why we don't do it is um, it's a high cost for sometimes some of the smaller projects to to you know do the auditing and the certifications and so the emissions reduction fund have actually got a methodology for soil carbon now so that's that's also quite exciting so there's uh there's a progress progress occurring in that area which is uh which is great for uh, yeah. the broad acre agriculture guys to get involved as well absolutely it's trying to, i mean it's really trying to incentivize people to do things differently and creating an economic model around that it, it's great absolutely and so then i guess i guess there's pretty topical at this time of year about fire and the fire risk what um i guess that's probably one of your business biggest risks um how does yes. how is that mitigated how is um, well i guess managed i guess you can't control it nope we can't so um it's a really good question because a lot of people <laughs> might come to us and go why are you planting trees in the desert but we're not we're doing habitat restoration um and obviously, we are at risk. We've got a change in climate. And um, we, I mean, our projects, as I sort of said, we are having to work with this change in climate, you know, which would include we're not planting as densely in certain areas because, you know, what is happening naturally in these like high bushfire areas, um, trees are naturally dying off because of the, you know, they're not getting enough water. So they're thinning out naturally and creating a lot of fuel. So I guess we have to bear in mind when we're planting our risk, you know, which as I said, less dense planning with that in mind. 
we have insurances. We can't, you know, we literally can't stop it. But we have had bushfires at one of our sites in York. And it's, I guess, you know, it wasn't such an issue because it's not, you know, not highly dense area. And then it's because it's sort of native species that it's just flourishing again. So it's actually, you know, it's looking really, really good a couple of years on. We just have to plant in mind with our environment, I think, is the, the biggest thing we're doing at the moment. If you're planting native species, they are fire fire dependent actually for, for propagation so um, yes it's actually really interesting how I mean they will um, enhance a fire and make a fire hotter but um, after the fire the propagation is prolific um, with, with Australian natives and so it's in, in, a, in a planting although it might look decimated you know give it three or four years and it'll be probably back to even better. One of the upsides of, of, uh, of fire in the, in the native in a native planting area mm. And I think, as you said, Helen, as well, our native species need it. So, you know, controlled burning, you know, should be happening. But it, it definitely is a there's a case for doing it with experts that can do it properly, you know, to sort of manage our landscape. And co incorporating grazing animals into some of those areas that are locked up for, for litter reduction is is actually also very valuable. So. Yeah. And we do we do allow that because, you know, we are working a lot of our landholders are farmers and yeah, we do allow yeah. grazing um, by sheep, you know, because it doesn't impact the planting three years into the project when it's yes. up and running. They can introduce them. So it, yeah, it is good. part of our longer term yeah, good. management. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, it's certainly um, certainly something for farmers to be aware of and, and, and get involved in. And as you say, you know, it, it, it uh, provides an incentive to to change practice and and do things a bit differently, doesn't it? It's good to meet some of those to, to meet the methodologies and to be accredited with the uh, emissions uh, reductions fund. Yeah, I was going to. I mean, I just sort of quickly mention as well another way that we um, incentivise landowners to get involved with us, and it sort of also creates a natural thing. As we are also um, like our Ben Cubbon project. Um, and also Brookton, we're planting a mix of native sandalwood. It is native to the area. Um, and that's a high value crop which can be harvested that's once right. it's grown without damaging the, you know, the trees around it. So, um, you know, I guess that's sort of another model of working with the landscape and getting as much as we can out of it, you know, out of our natural resource without damaging it. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. And also, it's, you know, that's it's a productive plant. And uh that makes a lot of sense. I mean, actually, quite a lot of Australian bush tucker would be worth planting. You know, if you think of the, the you know, um, edible plants that then could actually be harvested for native food production, that would be also an area of, uh, of growth, you would think, also. Yeah, possibly you could have given us an idea there, Helen. That's good. Excellent. <laughs> the Australian native food uh, sector, I think, is uh, definitely on the up. So there's, there's lots of opportunities, I think, for that to, to, to develop. So. Yeah, it's good. Um, I believe, you know, it's terrific the Outback Highway Development Council is uh, involved with the uh, Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund um, and offering our travellers that opportunity to offset their trip and, uh, and the progress and work. And I guess the organisation was an early adopter of some pretty new thinking and it's probably coming of age now where it's becoming more mainstream and an acceptance amongst the marketplace in regards to uh, our responsibility and our carbon footprint. So um, I'm, you know, I guess I'm 
from our behalf, we just wish you a, a you know a great uh, development uh, phase and and growth phase. Uh, to oh, thank you so much, and it's really great to have project. you as a supporter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's great. It's you know, it's so important, and um, we all want to protect our beautiful landscape, you know, and ensure a future for our kids. So yeah, it's really important. Thank you very much for, for coming on and it's been lovely to talk with you and uh, we, uh, we really appreciate it. And it is the first item in our Outback store on our website, outbackway.org.au, for people to purchase. Um, and that links people right through to your website direct and they can buy direct through to you, the CNCF. So thanks again and we'll look forward to uh, seeing how it progresses over time. Great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Outback Way podcast. Our notes and links will be on our website, outbackway.org.au. You can subscribe to our newsletter, buy our guidebook and download the app if you haven't already. Please join us on Facebook, Outback Way, Australia's Longest Shortcut, and on Twitter at Outback Way 1. The Outback Way podcast is all about your trip. We're really trying to make it easier for you and give you valuable information to make it more enjoyable. So we'd love your feedback. Send your questions, comments and travel stories to info at outbackway.org.au and if you share your story, we may even feature you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us through the heart of Australia on Australia's Longest Shortcut. Cheers for now.